I'm delighted to be in conversation with Baker Girl, Karen O'Donoghue, founder of Happy Tummy Co. And Karen, welcome. I know that you're going to talk about your mission to rid the world of IBS through bread. Thank you. Lovely to be here. Karen, I'm really excited to be talking with you. And I'd like to start by asking you, what is TEF? Because you've brought with you today a loaf of TEF bread. Um, So TEF is an incredible seed from Ethiopia. Um, It is the seed of love grass, which I think is a wonderful name for a grass, as opposed to wheat or buckwheat or whatever. Um, And I discovered it uh, about 10 years ago when I was looking for um, grain solutions for my IBS symptoms. Um, It is the oldest uh, grass in the world. It was the first grain ever planted for human consumption. The first cereal, I should say. Um, And uh, there are hundreds and hundreds of varieties of teff grown across all of Ethiopia. It's about like 8,000 years old. Um, and they discovered it buried with um, Tutankhamun in the pyramids, which I think is quite cool. Um, and I think that showcases the value of teff. Um, anyone kind of in the area, I mean, Eritreans and Ethiopians in particular, obviously, like really appreciate it. But certainly like all African countries would know about it and have a respect and an appreciation for it. Um, and it probably makes up about 80% of the Ethiopians diet because they basically ferment it with water for anything up to 27 days and make this kind of like flat injera pancake with it uh, which is basically the plate for all their food and then they put lots of legumes and plants and everything on top of it um so yeah it's it comes in three colors in a like a reddish color a brown color and a white color um i adore the brown color i think i just like the color brown i don't know um and i associate health with brown um, but yeah, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal um, ingredient. Out of all the things we can consume in the world, it's the ingredient I recommend to everyone that can change their diet for the better. Um, and that includes vegans, because obviously it's a plant, which is awesome. How did you discover it, Karen? Um, so initially, uh, through just lots of research online. Um, so like I said before, um how I came to to discover it was basically I had these horrendous IBS symptoms. Um, so that meant I had like very, very long bout, bouts of constipation, sometimes up to three weeks, I wouldn't go to the loo. Um, and it had effect, it had started affecting my mental health, but also my physical health. Um, and since I was a baby, I've always been obsessed with bread. Maybe it's an Irish thing and because of brown soda bread. My mom was a baker. Um, we grew up on a farm. I don't know, like just this idea of having a fresh loaf of bread on the kitchen table was like very much a part of how I believe the world should be, you know. Um, and so... Um, when I was younger, like since I was four years old, I've always made bread and I was really into like these like like high, high fibre loaves. Um, my dad was really into them as well because he had a really physical job. Um, and so in my early 20s, when I really realised I had to start tackling my issues, um, I just felt like intuitively that bread was going to be the answer. And mainly because obviously for people with IBS, their fiber um, intake is really, really important. Um, And so, you know, with plants and vegetables, of course, those those are incredible and we should eat as many per day as possible. But in terms of fiber content, eating seeds, nuts and grains is where you can really up your fiber intake. Um, And so 
And also I feel like at the time I really knew that um, lots of variety in my diet was going to be key to getting rid of my symptoms. And you can get like 20 ingredients into a loaf of bread. You know what I mean? It's like the perfect way of like just stuffing it full of like all these things. And then it's a a great delivery vehicle for like other stuff like hummuses and sprouts and greens um, and raw cheeses. And so for me, it just made sense as a way of kind of focusing on kind of my the rehabilitation of my tummy health for, you know, want of a better term. Um, And so, yeah, through loads of research, um, I basically came across it. Um, And at the time when I did come across it, um, Ethiopia weren't allowed to legally export it at that time. So I came across a lady living in West London who was Ethiopian from Addis. She'd been living in London for 26 years at that point. Um, and she was importing teff that was grown in South Africa. So I started sourcing teff from her, turned companies, Tobia Teff. Um, and then uh, years went on and I was always using her teff. Um, and then I kind of had this chance encounter with a guy called Jonas, who's the founder of Lovegrass. And he basically, like, through years and years of work with government over there, um, kind of, and petitioning government, he finally got the rights to export TEF legally, um, which was absolutely incredible. So after my first meeting with him, I remember, like, coming home and booking my first flight to Ethiopia, which was, like, two weeks later, and then realising I needed to get all these jabs and freaking out that I was going to get them all on time. But anyway, long story short, went to Ethiopia hung out with the owners and then started sourcing from Ethiopia itself, which was a really cool moment. Karen, are you still in touch with Jonas? Yes, very much so. Um, I mean, we're probably in touch at least once a week. Um, so, um, oh God, when was that trip? I, I suppose that trip was about two years ago now. And, um, and yeah, immediately after the trip, you know, we used to meet up a lot because... I was one of the few companies in the UK at the time that was really marketing TEF, really marketing the use of it. You know, it was across my whole product range. Um, So I was heavily, heavily, heavily trying to get people into TEF, not only for their IBS symptoms, but just as a hack for like their health in general. Uh, there was a study done with Manchester University many years ago, whereby uh, they they created this wheat bread um, and instead of making it 100% wheat, they made it 75% wheat, 25% teff. Um, and they trialed this new form of bread on athletes um, and particularly female runners, because as females, we burn through our iron stores really quickly. Um, and they discovered and monitored that endurance levels are increased by 25% with the introduction of teff into your diet. Um, actually, no, cor- I, correction, the bread was 30% teff. So yeah, with a 30% um, like introduction of teff, I mean, that's phenomenal, right? Like, that's so... So, I guess me and Jonas at that that time were trying to, like, look for um, evidence um, and case studies of people who were using this ingredient to benefit, whether it be their physical or mental health or or just their gut health. Um, and so, yeah, I think we, we did a lot of brainstorming for a long time together and, and we're just... And, and we still today, we're just so supportive of one another. So, um, when people come to my bakery school... Um, they 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 get teff flour and teff grain like free as part of the thing and and um, Iona sponsors that which is awesome um, so yeah you know when you meet someone and obviously he wants teff to do well and he wants to prop it up because it's it's where he's he's from his parents were teff farmers he's a teff farmer and I want to prop it up too because I've got a real relationship with the soil and with people that grow things 
being the daughter of two horticulturists and farmers. And it's really important to me that there's a very, very short uh, chain between the food that's put into the ground and the food that reaches your mouth. Um, and so for me as a baker and a business owner to get the opportunity to work with someone who is, you know, bringing this thing in as a seed, milling it on a stone and then sending it to me is is really, really awesome. There's something really lovely, Karen, about your coming from a family of farmers yeah. and Jonas likewise coming from a family of growers and all yeah. that you're talking about there. What was it like growing up in Ireland on a farm? Absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel so privileged to have had that background, you know. I feel like it's really good for um, a kid who's uh, quite emotional and spiritual to grow up with land around her because I feel like you can express yourself in a different way. So like if I ever felt sad or angry, I would just walk out into the fields and run or skip or sing or, you know, you had so much space to be expressive without judgment. And I think that has stood to me later in life. I think the older I get, I I see myself in groups and I, I, I don't struggle to express myself. And I think that's because the foundation of who I am was always expressing myself. Um, yeah, amongst nature. And, and um, there's something about like just being around the seasons and animals and plants that makes you so connected with the earth. And me, my sister and brother, we all like it was a family business. You know, we all planted the trees. We all planted the saplings every Easter. Um, and I think having that relationship with the soil um and nature from such an early age like I, you can't buy that time you know you can't you can't buy that experience you just have to experience it and i think it's really affected the way i look at the world and it's um it's made me it, it's it's made me not like i mean we need money obviously to buy things and live but my values in life are so much more beyond like capitalism and money and stuff like that my values are you know kindness um togetherness um communication um leadership truth like representation righteousness i feel like you know all these like beliefs and way of living ha have come to me and have stuck with me because of the land it's yeah and the land feeds us like our food is just reconstituted soil and if we don't feed the soil well and if we trample on it with the wrong things then how can we feed ourselves? And and yeah, and, and for me, that's, it's just so weird, you know, to like, so I did this course um, at Plumpton, um, this uh, viticulture course, because I'm really into wine. And um, at some time in my life, I would love to grow my own vines. Um, and it was just so interesting on this course, I discovered that most vineyards around the world will spray their vineyards between 14 to 16 times a season. And that's just because they wanted to operate in a way that like, you know, makes some money, which of course is understandable. That is capitalism. But uh, the wine that I'm into is the wine that's grown across 3% of the world, which is natural and biodynamic. And, and, and it's so funny that that's only 3% and the rest of the wine grown across the world is 97%. I just, I don't understand why, how people can believe that it's okay to just spray all these chemicals on our planet. You know what I mean? Like, it's like me coming along to a person and just spraying chemicals on them. That's exactly what it's like. It just blows my mind. And so I think to work in the food industry nowadays, when people like Jonas come along, the founder of Lovegrass, it's really important to me that 
you know, I prop him up as much as he props me up and that, you know, that we're working together and that we're not like competitive and that we're not like being secretive around our projects that we're doing, you know, that it's very collaborative. I think the older I get, the more I believe in collaborate, collaboration with the right people, of course. Um, I think when I first started the company, I was much younger and, you know, just, and, and also at the time there weren't as many people in the wellness industry, there weren't as many people motivated by good. People were still like motivated by profit and stuff. And I think um, the older I get, actually, instead of like, like I kind of thought, you know, the older I got, I would just like hone down on my own thing and not do anything with anyone else. But actually now I, I'm really eager to like collaborate with the right people, which has been like a real learning for me. And lovely for me because you're collaborating with me at the Grain Store and all the guests who come to stay at the Grain Store get a loaf of your lovely, lovely bread, slow fermented bread. And I think probably we should have a little note about the bread and the process of fermentation so that people know more about what they're eating and why. Even when students come to my bakery school, like the knowledge around like what is the sourdough starter? How does it work? Like how does it actually work to make that bread more digestible? Like very few people know about. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? How like new good things come to the foreground and we just do them. But sometimes we don't really understand why we're doing them. Um, But yeah, just for your listeners, um, the thing around sourdough is so... um, when you mix um, flour and water, uh, there is negatively charged ions in a wheat kernel and there is positively charged ions. And these ions are things like calcium, magnesium, iron, zinc. Um, and uh, if you don't um, get the water to a low pH, these ions will bind together and you won't assimilate them into your gut. So you're basically eating just calories. Um, the the reason and the kind of science around sourdough is, you know, you create and you feed this starter, which is a bunch of lactic acid bacteria and yeast. Um, and then you mix the starter with the water and it's the starter that reduces the pH of the water. So that then when you mix the flour in with this water, you know, you're going to manage to assimilate all those good vitamins and minerals into your body. Um, and then secondary to that, obviously you can get like a white sourdough or a whole grain sourdough. I'm vehemently against 100% white sourdough um, I'm very very pro ancient grain heritage grain sourdoughs where you're using you know every bit of it um, and then I'm also really into using rye starters because um, they do make bread more digestible um, and then I always use the retarded method of fermentation because it's slower uh, there's an ambient method and a retarded method and for me I only teach the retarded method because people that are coming to me anyway have IBS or gut health issues or you know feel they've got gluten intolerance or you know I've even got like I've even had a couple of celiacs who have tried out the bread which you know in a supermarket would say well this has gluten but you know, with the slow food movement, people understand now that you can ferment for long enough to get rid of the gluten and make it safe for celiacs to even eat. So, um, yeah, but that's just knowledge that most people don't know, you know. So, and I don't know why, because bread has always been um, like a food that we all eat. I went to this art show in Dublin um, a couple of years ago and there was this wonderful board of shopping lists from like 1850. 
and bread was always on the shopping list. There was like six things like milk, cheese, I think bacon and uh, yeah, and bread. And I just thought, well, there you go. You know, everyone, every household, every household, even still today, you know, has, has a loaf of bread in it. Uh, but I guess, yeah, it's just about the quality of that bread. And yeah, I, I just, I can't make something that's not good for people, you know. How old is your oldest starter, Karen? Because you said about your dad being yeah. a bread maker. Um, so I have unfortunately had starters die on me, but the current one that I have is um, a few years old, maybe like, well, actually, no, actually, I think the one I have currently is more than 100 years old because of who I got it from. Um, and there are definitely times where I have to feed it so much because it's so old, because the older a starter is, you have to feed it more frequently because they get a bit like lethargic, I think. Um, but and yeah, I think also it, it's very different. So I had it in Hackney and then I moved down to Sussex. And yeah, it's definitely very different down here. Very, very different. I feel like I add the same amount of flour like I was doing in Hackney, but it's a bit wetter down here. So there is obviously more moisture in the air, um, which is interesting. So it's cool. Um but yeah, I haven't, like, some people name their starters and stuff. I haven't done that. <laughs> Part of me feels bad about it. Like, some of my friends will put, like, oh, Charlie the starter. And I'm like, oh, should I name him? And then I'm like, I don't know. For me, starter is a wonderful word. So You spoke earlier about your start in life and yeah. your brother and sister. Yeah. And how you learn from the love of the land how to love yourself and and share that love with other people and like you say it's wonderful that this teff seed comes from the love grass because it does feel like you're sharing bread but you're absolutely sharing something of what you love and love eating Mm -hmm. yourself you found a Mm -hmm. healthy way of coping with ibs and your own yeah. pain yeah. from IBS when did that start Karen so I was born with IBS um so when I was a baby my mom like I said I was a really happy baby like always laughing and stuff and then it got to a point where my nappies had been very clean for some time and she was like ah oh, okay something's up here and then I kind of started being a bit ratty or crying and anyway she brought me to the doctor to the GP and um, clearly I was very constipated so he put his finger up my bum <laughs> to blo- unblock me which was effective um, but obviously not something I could do for the rest of my life um, so yeah um, basically kind of uh, I guess I you know as a child I don't remember it as clearly as I do my teenage years I think I remember my teenage years a bit better because I got my period and I feel like toilet time becomes more of a serious issue for women at that point so um yeah like I mean I would go to the toilet and I would just be sitting there for a half an hour and nothing was coming and I was eating hilariously like I was eating the same food as my dad my mom my sister my brother but they didn't seem to have the same problems that I had which is proof to the science that's coming out now which is well we're all different we all have unique microbiomes we all have unique like varieties of bacteria in our gut and we have to feed our unique system as opposed to being sheep and so, um, yeah, my teenage years were definitely hard. I always, I always felt bloated. I, I, you know, you know, when you're younger, you're very blunt with yourself. I, I just always felt fat. Like I always looked six to nine months pregnant and I couldn't understand it. You know, like it baffled me. I was like, how am I eating the same? And like, I was really sporty. 
really active. My sister, who's a doctor, would have always described me as healthy. But whatever I was doing, whatever processes the food I was eating had been through was not suiting me. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, then I went into university, into uh, into work. Um, and it was in my first job. I was um, part of the Entrepreneur of the Year program. We were producing this TV show with entrepreneurs. It was full on. And it was during that time where I was like, oh, this is really bad. Like every week I wouldn't go for a poo for the whole week. And then Friday evening would come. And it was like the heavens opened. So there was something obviously around stress. You know, there was... Um, and uh, and yeah, and I guess when I was around like 23, 24, that's when I was like, okay, if I don't get this under control, I'm going to get colon cancer. You know, like that's just where my future is headed. Um, and then that's when like the heavy research started. Maths and science were always my best subjects. That's when I started devouring science papers, speaking with the dietitians, speaking with my cousin who sits on the Health Board of England and just really eating up knowledge that was coming out on IBS at the time. Um, and, and trying to kind of formulate all of that research into these equations and then placing these equations over recipes and using ingredients based on what I needed from various things like, okay, so I need a high amount of magnesium to relax my muscles. I'm going to use that ingredient. I need a lot of insoluble fiber because my problem is constipation versus diarrhea. So I need to decrease the oats I'm eating and I need to really increase the insoluble fiber. So I need to have lots of teff, um, buckwheat, millet, things like this, flaxseed, chia seeds. Um, and, and so, yeah, over the course of two years, I basically kind of formulated these mathematical equations and then kind of uh, like almost like traced um, recipes over over those equations. And that's. Um, that, that was essentially the start of my rehabilitation back into better gut health and yeah it was it was amazing I, I'll never forget the first time I went to the loo like twice two two days in a row and I was just jubilant I was just like oh my god I can go to the toilet every day this is so great like I mean it's something that so many people take for granted but uh yeah it was a real struggle um yeah real struggle it's funny to think back on it now because now I'm so regular. I love the loo. <laughs> <laughs> it sees me a lot. It's so good. Karen, you're super, super knowledgeable about all things IBS and you're on a mission to save everybody who has IBS yeah. from having IBS through your bakery school yeah. and you've done a huge amount of research into this and it'd be lovely to hear more about the research and everything else that you know about ridding the world of IBS. Yeah so I guess as someone with IBS which does really feel like a chronic illness when you have it um, and then when you find a solution you just well if I find something that's good I want to share it with everyone as quick as I can and I think also, I mean, when I kind of discovered this solution, that was maybe seven years ago, it was like 2013, yeah, seven years ago. So um, back then, you know, the wellness industry isn't what it is today. You, the, the research, frankly, wasn't there. You know, we, we weren't able to say, well, factually, if you eat this, you will rid yourself of IBS. You know, I was just like a little science geek in my apartment in London you know, fermenting for 78 hours, a particular seed or not, to see how it would impact my gut health, you know, given the fermentation time and given, you know, its particular like nutritional makeup. Um, and so 
I think because I had done so much research into it. And by the way, like I initially I just did this research for myself. I had no intention of setting it up into a business. I had no intention of selling bread. If anything, I did have the intention of almost making it for friends and family who had similar issues. Um, but funnily enough, uh, people found out about it and uh, Shoreditch House asked me to give a talk about it to about, I don't know, 150 people. Um, and even at that point, you know, I brought loads of the bread. And even at that point, I was not considering being a bakery. I wasn't be- considering being a school. I wasn't considering um, being anything that would have taken a huge amount of investment. Um, but I was considering becoming a dietitian at that point. Um, and after this talk in Shoreditch House, which the whole event in total probably lasted two and a half hours, three hours. Everyone was just like, we need this bread, like give us the bread. And the the response to my words and the bread was so overwhelming. Like I came, went home to my ex-husband at the time and I was like, okay, like I need to do this. You know what I mean? Like me studying for four or five years to become a dietitian is a waste of time because we don't need more dietitians in the world. We need more good food products in the world. We need access to good food. And there at that time, like no one was making a bread for people with IBS, you know, it was unheard of. And I was like, well, I will be that person, you know, because I think bread's awesome. So, and funnily enough, not everyone thinks bread is awesome and not everyone is into bread. So then I kind of focused maybe as on cereals as a whole. But um, yeah, initially I kind of thought like, this, this is the revolution, you know, like IBS symptoms be gone through this awesome bread. Um, and there was enough people interested at the time that like kind of got behind me and, and believed in me and, um, and, and yeah, and, and went on a journey with me. And, and it was at that point then that I set up a subscription company because, so this is like 20, late 2013, early 2014. Um, I was really anti-waste. Um, I was really into, you know, sustainable materials. Um, and bakeries actually like lots of industries create lots of waste in our world but bakeries do create lots of waste because they don't know how many loaves of bread they're going to sell do you know what I mean and they do have to be sold and and eaten fresh to a degree so um I looked at the kind of bakery culture and I saw okay there's a lot of waste there I don't want any waste so I set up this subscription model which actually really suited people with IBS because they wanted a guarantee that their loaf is coming at this time every week and they can kind of get into this routine of having two slices for breakfast exactly like I was doing and relieve themselves pretty quickly of their symptoms um so um yeah so that kind of just unfolded um and then I was supplying to gyms and shops and cafes um and then very quickly we started delivering all around the UK and the reason we were able to deliver all around the UK is because TEF when mixed with other grains nuts and seeds extends the shelf life of those grains nuts and seeds um, and TEF has a much longer shelf life than wheat does for example so um you know we could we were delivering to Inverness and places like that um, and it was fine that we had like a 24-hour delivery period um because of the shelf life and then when kept in the fridge it stays fresh for two weeks and I personally feel it gets better with age um so it, it just it, it became this really great uh medicinal solution for people um and obviously it's really really good to scientifically track things and we're really 
interested in analytics of everything now but I think I am probably a mixture of intuition and science so for me anecdotal evidence is as important as scientific evidence because for me you're never going to change people's behaviors if you come at it it completely scientifically or the other way completely anecdotally you know there's loads of products being sold where there's no science to back it up Um, and that's cool that works for some people like placebo placebos work and that's cool but I wanted to really create something that worked even if someone was very pessimistic um, and didn't believe in the science behind it or indeed the intuition around around it um and so yeah and I, I guess the journey kind of started from there but but solving this IBS issue which we do have in the UK and globally like about 33% of people in the UK today will suffer from IBS at some point in their lives. The NHS figures on the millions, the like hundreds of millions that are being spent on laxatives for even children nowadays. Like I think for children under the age of four, like, or no, I think it's an, one in every three children like is quite constipated right now. Um, and that's because of diet. That's because they're eating like wheat that hasn't been fermented um like there i read some recent uh, papers about um uh kids in schools nowadays that their testosterone levels are so high you know they're quite agitated in class they're getting angry like there's unexplained behavior in schools nowadays um and and, and one of the hypotheses is that diet is to answer for this unexplained behavior um and and interestingly uh, the world health organization um has discovered that even though we're eating 20% more cereals now than than ever we're more iron and zinc deficient than we've ever been before and cereals are an incredible source of b vitamins iron zinc magnesium calcium all those good stuff um and and and, and my belief and my opinion on it is that it's because we're eating, you know, we're eating unfermented crackers, you know, we're eating lots of crackers and dried breads and we're eating like, you know, lots of breads from supermarkets. Um, I think 86% of the bread eaten in this country today is, is, is from a supermarket. Um, and 50% of the bread eaten in the UK today is just white sliced pan. So, you know, when you think about like, you've got three meals a day and if one of your meals or even two of your meals like breakfast and lunch is made up of this like unnourishing white slice pan yeah you've got limited times in the day to really like nourish yourself which is which is scary and I think you know before we started recording today I was talking to you about um the functionality of the plate of food that you eat and and for me, that's the best way to describe how I eat now because of knowledging up on all the science uh, I like to eat functionally, but then I also like to eat for pleasure. But they're two very distinct things. And I feel, I don't feel like I have the right to eat for pleasure unless I've eaten functionally that day. So um, I can eat a huge amount of ice cream. I love ice cream. I don't eat a lot of it. But you know, when I do, do go for an ice cream, I mean, it's like you can't get the tub back off me. Uh, but interestingly, 60% of the world um cannot eat white rice makes them really bloated i am in that 60 percent that same 60 percent can eat ice cream and be perfectly fine so it's really interesting you know what i mean like we can't take everything at face value we can't take a nutritional label at face value and that's one of the things i explain to my customers a lot is you're different to joe down the road you have a completely different metabolism so whatever 
about the calories on the nutritional label, focus on the fibre content because through eating more fibre, you will increase the diversity of gut bacteria in your unique microbiome, thereby enabling your metabolism to maybe work as efficiently as Joe's, efficiently as Joe's, or or better. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that was the real discovery from from kind of my end, my IBS end, was that we are all so different, and all you can do is is to just fertilize the growth of your own kind of microbiome and and let that then kind of do its thing for you as opposed to seeing Alice on Instagram eats in a certain way I want to look like Alice I want to feel like Alice you know it, it just I think as soon as we start copying the road to recovery or rehabilitation is never successful it's like you know it's like wheat grains in the field like the guy on the guy to row left isn't like oh I want to be like that wee colonel over there you know what I mean it's just like it's just doing its thing really um so yeah I think this culture that we have nowadays of copying one another I don't agree with I agree with inspiring people I agree with educating and helping people to knowledge up but you know I can say to people well look this is the bread I eat and yes it's better than the bread you eat because that's fact we know that to be true um, but I can't say to someone, well, you shouldn't eat that ice cream or you shouldn't drink that glass of wine because those might give them so much pleasure, make them feel so good about themselves that that is just as important as diet. But I will say to people, you know, just make sure that you're getting your fiber in, you know, make sure you're eating a good breakfast, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then all the rest is pleasure is so important but I think a lot of people nowadays have lost sight of the importance of pleasure, um, which is which is very unfortunate. We've become so consumed by aesthetics. We've become so consumed by how things look that we've forgotten that like beauty and love and creativity and feelings of good are like in the heart and mind. They're not in how our tummy looks or how our breasts look or, you know, it's it's a funny thing. I'd love to ask you, Karen, more about the movement that you're leading as I see that you're leading and one of the main reasons for inviting you apart from loving your bread is you're leading a movement to rid the world of IBS through your bread and through awareness of the importance of the food that we eat. So I think for me I've always I think the power of word of mouth is phenomenal I think people don't pay enough attention to that in our tech world so um the bakery school so obviously I started as a business as a bakery to living around Ireland and in the UK um the reason I pursued the bakery school was because even though 33% of people will suffer with IBS there's a large part of that percentage that found the bread inaccessible because of price point um and at the time I was such a small company I wasn't able to do anything about that I wasn't able to petition government to sponsor you know people into being able to you know eat this bread so I kind of thought, okay, a solution to that and a solution to reaching more people is to teach people because a lot of people that come to the bakery school are mothers of children with IBS, are friends and they've got friends in Dubai or friends in America with IBS. So a lot of people actually come wanting to learn to help someone else. And I kind of predicted that would happen. So um, the people that come, you know, there's four people per class um, and those four people 
tell other people and those people whether they come to the school or not they can still go to the website where there's recipes um designed for people with IBS so they can then use those recipes so like on average I will get like emails from around the world maybe like five emails a week from someone in Australia or America you know wanting advice um and so obviously I can't get to those people I don't have an online course at the moment um I can do phone consultations and stuff like that but yeah I'm one person like completely limited by by what I have at the moment um so the intention is certainly to to build another space uh, a bigger space um I'm just at the moment trying to figure out where that space should be um and, and through that space uh obviously teach more people bake bread for more people um but also start with the online bakery school so that you know people around the world can kind of access the knowledge themselves um because i think in the grand scheme of things these people have to eat this bread or these products every day to help keep their symptoms at bay um so the investment of paying for a class versus you know paying for the loaf week in week out i think it it, it makes more sense um and i think yeah like my you know my grand vision is to rid the world of ibs i i think you know what that's that's not me doing it alone and i think I really felt alone, if I'm to be perfectly honest, on that mission seven years ago. And I remember sitting on panels with dietitians and nutritionists and they weren't they weren't talking about IBS back then. They weren't talking about how serious it was and they weren't giving people quick solutions and quick hacks that they could, you know, like make a part of their diet as of tomorrow. It talks from that kind of... Um, faculty were very sciencey very like inapproachable back then um now it's very different now there is a lot more chat about IBS I feel like it's a topic on the tip of tongues of dietitians nutritionists doctors um it's on packaging and foods I feel like it's become much more of a movement which is phenomenal because as we all know one person can never like fight something alone um, so I'm really happy to have been part of the movement and part of the chat. I definitely see myself and what I can bring to the movement as still being unique. Um, and I guess the older I get and the more clarity I have, um, the more I know where I kind of sit in the movement channels now. And I definitely think, number one, that's through having a bigger space. Um, and number two, it is about doing online courses eventually, for sure. Um, and also just getting behind other people that are doing good like my friend Sam who's the founder of Key Kefir makes this phenomenal kefir with hook and sun milk locally in East Sussex and you know I, like we work together we collaborate with one another we prop one another up we help one another out and I think the work I do is as much about promoting other people and their work and supporting them and yeah and like you know like supporting Lovegrass and highlighting Lovegrass to all the people that come to the bakery school because then Lovegrass on their website they talk about IBS and you know we can all come at this message together um yeah sometimes I remember when I was much younger my mom was like you should just be um be a pure person like just be in public relations because you're so good at like propping people up and and I think being a leader and being a part of a movement is as much about just pushing people in another direction as it is your own and it's very much about collaborating with other people absolutely and you spoke about that yeah. earlier about collaborating like the sun but also 
with other people yeah. and helping people to help themselves to make it affordable to yeah. support them i i think the idea of an online bakery school is really tremendous yeah that people can learn about the yeah. importance of what you do and the and benefits for them i think also like having moved from london to the country it's been a real learning curve because in london you have access to all these products that can relieve such and such a symptom but in the country you know there isn't as much variety of products as solutions and Sam actually she stayed with me last night and she was like oh have you seen this like new thing and I was like no and it's so funny because I'm here now I'm more isolated like yeah and so basically what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is I can now imagine my IBS customer who lives in the country and doesn't you know won't see the happy tummy branding around London you know they they they, they just won't see it they won't be on Instagram etc etc so thinking of ways to reach those people um has been a real lesson since moving down here earlier karen you mentioned the huge impact that your mother's death had had on your brother i wanted to ask you what was the impact on you and how did you cope with the loss so firstly i turned to memoirs written by women <laughs> um, i found that to be quite helpful um so yeah i'm the eldest in the family so my mom really was my best friend um, and she was very spiritual, very emotionally astute, really understood me. Um, and so losing her, like that's definitely been the worst thing to ever happen in my life. Um, and people say it gets easier, but I think it just changes because there are so many questions I would have for her today. You know, like I'm 34, I'm divorced, like I'm navigating my way around this like new world. And I would have loved her opinion on that because it was always without judgment and it was always with a huge amount of love but it was also with challenge and I think that's you know if you're I think that's the benefit of getting on really well with a family member is that they can challenge you in a safe way um, and she was that for me she like I remember when I was younger um, writing English essays and I'd go down to her to show her the essay because she always read over my homework and I remember one time she, I, I showed her this essay and she was like it's not good enough you can do better and I was so tired and I remember going back up to my bedroom rewriting the essay finishing it at 10 p.m bringing it down to her showing her and she was like that's better and I was like okay and I she was right but you know it aggravated me it upset me um and I, I miss that you know I as much as all of her love and support I also miss her challenges and because I think that's so important for everyone to have someone to challenge them in a safe supportive loving way um and yeah so I struggled with that so I definitely started reading I love reading anyway um but lots of memoirs by females my relationship with my best friend got a lot deeper and tighter and more spiritual um and yeah I think you know I relationships became much more important to me finding a loving relationship became incredibly important to me but I also had this fear of loss so I think it affected my so when I when I got with my ex-husband Dylan um I always struggled with this idea of like him being around and you know if he wasn't around that made me feel bad and so I think I was really really yearning for love that I wasn't like true love you know real deep connection um and I think, yeah, and I think I'm still on a journey with, with that, with connection, with 
what love means, what love is meant to do for you and, and what you're meant to do to love other people. Um, yeah, I think it's it's made me really, really question relationships and what we're meant to do and give to ourselves, but what level of expectation we can have of other people in our lives. I think with a mother and daughter, my experience was undevout, like just like tireless love. But with other relationships, it's maybe not the same. And I think I've I've really missed having that type of love in my life. Um, and because she was a baker, like she kind of coerced us into doing our, our homework and our violin practice through like an apple tart coming out of the oven or whatever it was. Um, so I, I think because my mom showed us so much support and love through baked goods, then it inspired me to show my friends and family love through food. And I think she inspires me every day you know when I especially when I bake a batch of scones I always think of her um yeah yeah I think she really used food to to nurture us and she made us really 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 good food and so yeah I feel like she's in everything I do you know I I feel like I look like her you know everything she's the older I get she has become like a stronger part of me which has been really, really amazing. And and I go through times where I can really cope with not having her around to f- talk with, but I do go through times where I find it really difficult not having to talk with as well. Um, yeah, it's but so many people are motherless, you know, like, and I worked in India for a summer and I met so many motherless children. Um, and yeah, it, it broke my heart. But I think, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I, you know when you meet someone who's also got I've got a really good friend Jane and she lost her mom. she's from Dublin I'm from Cork she lost her mom at uh, the same age similar circumstance um and when I met her I met her in London many years ago now and it was just it was a gift you know it was a gift to meet someone who had been through a similar situation to you and it's not like our situation is worse or better than anyone else's it's just our situation but you know, me and Jane can sit with one another and just get what's going on, like how she goes through work challenges, how she goes through personal challenges. I feel like I really understand that because I understand the support system she has not got around her now. Um, So that's quite, that's quite unique. But we're all unique, right? We're all like bringing our two pence to every situation and environment and yeah, but it's been it it's been a it's had a huge impact on my life, and if I'm to be honest, like hugely negative at times. Like I feel like I there's definitely decisions I would have made, I would have made better choices in my life, I would have done things differently if she were still here, and that is just the truth of the matter. You know, I think some people like kind of shy, but they're like, oh no, life's great, life's great. But actually, no, it's okay to say sometimes life is just not great. Um, so yeah, I think the dark times were much darker and heavy and elongated because of her absence. Karen, there'll be other people listening to us in conversation who have lost their mothers, lost their fathers. Yeah. Um, years ago, I can remember being in on a course and I was learning about leadership and about facilitating and the question asked of the then facilitator was how do you deal with difficult people in groups and everybody sat up to listen to what the facilitator's answer would be 
And he said, there's no such thing as a difficult person. There's only a person struggling with loss. Mm. And it really rang a chord with me. Mm. Uh, that at some of the most difficult times, or when I've been my most difficult, mm. have been times of, of loss. And you mentioned you turned to memoir mm -hmm. when you're mother died yeah. and in particular memoirs written by women yeah. is there any particular memoir that you return to that helps you or or a particular memory of your mother that helps you at those really difficult times mm. those dark times so hilariously I've just actually finished a memoir by Nulo Fuelon called Are You Somebody and that's one I've returned to um, mainly because well it, it it's a memoir and, and she's kind of navigating the Irish landscape back in a time when my mum was growing up. And so I feel like through reading her words, I can kind of navigate the culture and the ideas and the politics that my mum was growing up in and that shaped her. Um, so I, I love Nulo Fuelon and I, I read her stuff as much as I can. Um, and I find it really, really helpful. And sometimes the question is why I'm not in Ireland. <laughs> but um, uh, And then secondly... Uh, a time that I so anytime I was upset or something happened in school I'd be in my bedroom and I'd be on my bed or you know just feeling sorry for myself and my mum would just always come up and she would not leave that room until I had fully communicated how I was feeling how I fully communicated how I was going to go about tomorrow and the next day and what was my plan for the future like how was I going to let this let go of this but also go forward and she was really excellent at that, you know, and, and the same for my sister. I remember my sister going through the same emotions and my mom just standing outside her bedroom door until she, she was ready to be let in. And yeah, I think just her perseverance, her never leaving our sides, like her staying until there was a solution. That is a big part of who she who she was, who she is. And I think maybe that's why I was so persistent on finding this IBS solution, because that is how to go at life. Be persistent until a person feels their vulnerability has been answered, almost. Wonderful. And you are providing a solution for people to have happy tummies. Yeah. Thank you again, Karen, for a really great conversation. And I look forward to our next. What would be really useful is for you to share the various ways in which people can find out more about you, more about the bakery school and also the book you mentioned the author that you love um so the book is are you somebody by nula ofoylon um and yeah we deliver the bread all around london every thursday um we take orders on monday uh, for those deliveries um and you can just reach out to us on our email which is info at thehappytummyco.com um and if you would like to come down to one of our courses which we would love to see you on and um, the website is thehappytummyco.com <laughs>